Frontier Missions Journal. Stories of hope for the unreached with Adventist Frontier Missions. My name is Mark Coleman. I'm the International Field Director for Adventist Frontier Missions. My family and I served in Guinea, West Africa for 10 years. And before that, we served in Southeast Asia for five years, working in refugee camps. This story is about a young man that I knew that was really, whose death really impressed me with the lesson that I carry with me to this very day. And I call it Metaphor of the Unreached. Mohammed was a good friend of ours. He was also a brick mason. He was a brick mason that helped us build our church and did a lot of work for us, small jobs, large jobs. He did everything. He was honest. He was hardworking. And something that we often faced was people would hire crews to work with them and they wouldn't pay them. They would receive the the uh, money for the contract and they wouldn't distribute the money to their workers they'd often keep it for themselves but Mohammed never did that he paid his workers regularly so we struck up a good friendship one day I asked Mohammed to come by the house and to uh, work on something that we were doing in the courtyard uh, he really did good work so I, I knew that he'd do a good job That day, he uh, came over, it was a Friday. I remember it very well because that day, everything is short. On Fridays, the day, the work day ends around noon because people get ready to go to the mosque for Friday prayers about 1 o'clock, 1.30, uh, for the 2 o'clock prayers. And that's a big day for Muslims. They have a sermon that day and then they pray together. Usually only takes about a half hour, but that sets the tone of the day. So on that Friday he came over and uh, he would usually come back after Friday prayers for an hour or two. Of course it was approaching Sabbath uh, for us and usually about four o'clock we tell him to, to knock off and, and we'd see him on Monday. This day at noon when he finished his work he said, Mark I'm not feeling too well. I don't think I'll be coming back after prayers. I said no problem I'll see you next week. Well, the truth is, I never saw him alive again. Uh, well, I never saw him in good health again. So, in order for you to understand uh, why I never saw him in good health again, I have to back up and tell you another story that, that gives us understanding for this one. So one day I'm coming out of the courtyard of our house, and in West Africa, many countries, especially the Muslim countries, all the houses have walls around them that are usually 6 to 10 feet tall. You know, sometimes they have glass or steel rods or something on the top to keep thieves from coming over very easily. Thieves or bandits. So uh, I'm coming out of the courtyard, out of uh, the gate. Our house is surrounded by walls and I'm coming onto the dirt road or at the gravel road in front of our house. I had a motorcycle that I took everywhere. And so this day I hop on my motorcycle after pushing it out the gate and start it up and start riding down the road, you know, probably a quarter mile, till I had to turn up a rocky road to get into town. And I'm waving at neighbors, waving at students from the high school in their uniforms, and while I'm driving, riding my motorcycle, I see the ugliest dog I've ever seen. 
He's mangy. He has actually no hair at all, no fur, wrinkled skin. And he's just trotting down the road, making no noise. And I looked back at him as I rode by him on my motorbike and I said, that dog looks crazy. Well, I didn't think about it anymore. I rode on down the road at a slow pace, but I passed the dog up. Well, the dog continued to trot down the road. The high school kids and some of the other people avoided it. I heard the high school kids kind of giggling, and, and uh, but the dog trotted on and I went on. So now I'm turning to go up this rocky road to get into town and I'm on a dirt bike, but there are huge rocks. And you can't just turn up quickly because if you if your back tire especially hits one of those rocks it can throw the motorbike out from underneath you and you can end up on the ground and get hurt pretty bad so i had to be careful turning and winding my way up this very very rocky very steep very dangerous road and i look out of the corner of my eyes and there's that dog and it struck me just as quickly as i saw the dog out of the corner of my eye it struck me this dog is going to attack me. I don't know if it was an angel or what, but I had the distinct impression that dog was going to attack me. Well, the motorbike was still running and I couldn't get off of it stopping and get off fast enough to avoid the dog biting my leg. This is what I thought he would do anyway. So while the motorcycle was rolling still and while I'm trying to negotiate a turn, I stood up on the stirrups, pulled my right leg over the motorbike so that now it's standing, I'm standing with both legs on one side of the motorbike on one of the stirrups while it rolls to a stop. I use the motorbike as a uh, shield between me and the dog and I'm holding it and the dog with a still not making a sound, this dog with no fur had this crazy look on its face dives into the side of the motorbike and starts tearing at hoses and wires and My motorbike is running. I'm holding it thinking, Lord, what do I do now? I'm holding the motorbike. It's running and the dog is tearing at it. And it struck me. This dog has rabies. And he was about to bite me. So as I pray, Lord, what do I do? Again, it's as if I get this impression. Let the motorbike fall on the dog and pin him to the ground. And I was thinking, when I pin him to the ground, I'm going to get some rocks and kill him. There are rocks everywhere. And on that side of the motorbike was also the hot exhaust pipe, so it would burn the dog pretty bad. I let it fall, and still the dog, without making a sound, is pinned to the ground almost. But he's, he manages to slither out, never made a sound. The hot tailpipe is burning him. He's pinned, never made a sound, and he takes off down the road and disappears. Neighbors come out, Mr. Coleman, are you doing okay? You know, people gather around. I say, I brush myself off. I, I'm okay, I'm okay. And uh, I was a bit shaken because I was that close to getting bitten by a rabid dog. And I picked the motorbike up, had a, you know, the mirror was broken. Um, the brake handle or the clutch handle needed to be, actually that would be the brake handle, needed to be twisted back around. But I didn't want to go back home, so I kind of gathered my senses, brushed myself off, and went on into town. Well, I forgot about it later that day, and I never mentioned anything again to anyone about that dog. Until Muhammad, my friend the Mason, maybe four days later, comes to me and says, Hey, Mark. And he pulls up his short shirt sleeve and he shows me dog bites, dog fang bites. He said, Hey, I'm just walking down the road and, and yesterday and this dog just jumps up on me out of nowhere. It never made a sound and it came and bit me and ran off. And I thought immediately about that rabid dog. And I, I looked at my friend. I turned and I looked at him in the face. I said, Muhammad, you don't need to play. I want you to go to the hospital. 
have asked them about rabies shots and I don't have much money, but we can try to work it out. Every time you need a shot, you come by and I can try to like deduct it from future work that you're going to do. But I want to make sure you get rabies shots. He said, OK, I'll, I'll take it seriously. So he came back uh, two days later, maybe with a prescription for rabies shots. And uh, he started to take those shots. Well, it was a series there where we lived in Guinea of seven shots. And uh, I think over the next several weeks, he did maybe three or four. And then he kind of let it drop. And I'll be honest, I kind of forgot about it too. He was fine. Until one day, he was working at my house on a Friday. And he said, I'm not feeling very well. I won't be back. So that brings us now to the point at the beginning of the story. So over that weekend, Muhammad went home. I didn't know how he was um, until Tuesday. His brothers came to me and said, Mark, come see Muhammad. He's in the hospital. And now um, this whole thing's playing in my mind and I realize that he's probably sick with rabies. Well, to make a long story short, I didn't get to the hospital. I was kind of lingering. Didn't get to the hospital until Wednesday, on my way to prayer meeting. I got there with a friend, walked into the room, and the brothers called me over to the bed. The doctor and the nurse were in the room as well. And I said, hey, Mohammed, Mohammed. I went over and walked over to the bed, looked in his eyes and said, hey, Mohammed. And he was looking up. It's as if he was looking past me and there was an unearthly sound coming from him. Oh, and I said, Mohammed, Mohammed. He didn't see me. He was, he was screaming. And I realized I grabbed my head. I said, oh, he's got rabies. I left the room with my friend. I stepped out. And the family was there, the grandmas, the aunties, the sisters, the uncles, the old people from the village were all sitting there. And they studied my face to see if they could get any sense of how Muhammad was. I kept my face as placid, as stoic as I could and walked out and waited with them. It must have been only 10 minutes later, one of the brothers poked his head out of the room and said, hey, Mark, come back in. So myself and my friend from the church, we went back into the room and already his body was wrapped in mummy fashion. Mohammed had died from rabies. I tell you, I was crushed. Crushed by the fact that my friend, good friend had died, but also crushed by the fact of a guilt. Is there anything else I could have done to have saved his life? I did what, what I thought was best to make sure he went to the hospital to get rabies shots. Well, a lot of people gave me a lot of advice after the fact. Well, you should have done it this way or you should have done it this way. It only, it only increased the misery I was feeling that my friend had died and and here he was, he had died for no apparent good reason because he hadn't finished his rabies course of vaccines, or so I thought, or his treatment. Well, some, you know, this continued to play in my mind. I, I uh, did what we, what was cultural, the culturally appropriate thing to do, and that was we visited the family and the wife, and we made sure to give a large uh, financial gift. We made sure to let them know if they needed anything to let us know. We, we tried to be as culturally appropriate as we could. For two or three weeks, my mind was just turning about this thing. 
Then one day, um, we were I was looking at some land because we were thinking of buying land to build a school. And it just happened to be a nurse at one of the local hospitals. And she was. we were waiting on a man to bring some papers for the land. And so we got uh, talking. And this thing was still in my mind. So I said to the nurse, ma'am, how, how do you get rabies treatment here in this town? She looked at me and said, well, Mr. Coleman, it's a little bit of a process because we don't have rabies treatment here in this city. You have to get a uh, prescription from a doctor here. You take it down to the capital. You get the rabies prescription there, the rabies medication there, and you can bring it back up here. We'll administer it, or you can just stay in the capital for that amount of time, once a week over six or seven weeks, or go down every week, and uh, they'll administer it there. And so I paused her. I said, wait, wait, wait a minute. What did you say? She said, you have to go to the capital with a prescription to get the rabies medicine because we don't have it here. We don't keep it here in the city. And suddenly, like a flood, a knowledge of what happened to my friend Muhammad struck me. Having Knowing the culture, knowing now that there's no rabies medication uh, treatment in the city, and knowing that my friend had faithfully been going to get what he thought were rabies shots, it hit me. Someone at the hospital had tricked him into thinking that he was getting rabies shots when maybe he was getting tetanus shots or something else. He had never received any treatment. And that was a relief in one sense to me because I realized, I yes, I had done everything that I thought I could, and and it, it was a relief to me. But at the same time, it was a terrible, stark metaphor of the unreached. In this touching story, we learn the saddening truth, what it must be like for God when our careless conduct brings about the loss of his precious children. Just as Mohammed lost his life due to the careless conduct of someone working in the hospital, someone who brought about the loss in a place where there's supposed to be healing, just so our careless conduct may bring about the loss of people who were never even told about the cure of their condition. Please, let's pray for wisdom and the understanding that we need in order to do what is right. Don't let any opportunity be lost in which we can tell someone about Jesus. Thank you very much for listening, and as always, have a blessed day.